G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Lovely to uh, have your company wherever you are around Australia or indeed listening around the world on the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm very honoured to have in the studio with me today a man who's uh, been around the traps for a little while. Maybe you even know this name. Dr. (laughs) Tim Hanna, how are you? I'm well, Phil. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation and good to be here and co-host. Now, does anybody call you doctor these days? Or? Very rarely. Very, very rarely. rarely no. Because, you know, whilst you've been in previous roles that uh, people might go, you know, knock on the door and say, excuse me, doctor, <laughs> in a you know, theological college uh, context, uh, you've also been in ministry, leading yep. a church, a big church. Uh, but these days you're in sports chaplaincy. So I get, I'm guessing that's a pretty casual sort of environment. It is pretty casual and good, and it uh, sort of keeps those those aspects that I love, sport, church, Jesus together and in one role, and I'm really enjoying it. I've been in it for five months now, Phil, and really enjoying the uh, opportunity and the challenge, the joy of all that. So, yeah, different. I've heard you described as a sports tragic. Is that a fair description? That is pretty true. From a long time ago when I first came out to Australia and – Got caught up in Aussie rules and cricket and tennis and uh, umpiring football and then just most sports I really enjoy and uh, link into. Well, we'll get into some of your story a bit later sure. on this morning, but uh, which one's your favourite? Which favourite story or favourite sport? Favourite sport. No, so let's go. Favourite sport to play, favourite sport to watch. Favourite sport to play was probably uh, Aussie rules. Mm-hmm. To watch cricket or Aussie rules, I think. Okay. But I've, you know, I've been watching the the soccer and the Matildas and other sports and rugby. I got introduced to rugby league was my first uh, chaplaincy endeavour and, and that was a whole new ball game. So I just really, I really like competitive sport. It's just good to watch. Well, it's a pretty common Australian sort of, sort of <laughs> trait uh, and it creates a really great environment for ministry. So that's what sports chaplaincy is really all about and I've heard it described as a ministry of presence, just being there yeah. for people. Well, basically, that's it. It is a ministry of presence. And it's one of those ones at the moment where, you know, Christian faith is being sort of shrunk out of other areas, education, politics, media, entertainment. But at the moment, uh, sporting clubs are uh, calling out for chaplains and saying we, we would love that that space filled in our sporting community, whether it's professional sport or community sport. So it is that is that space. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And I'm a tragic and I enjoy <laughs> combining all those things together. Well, it must be wonderful because you've been in ministry in different contexts. Yes, now you I- can bring this real passion into it as well. You must feel like you're in heaven. Well, that's great. I mean, after 30 years local church ministry, um, theological college, um, compassion, yes. 10 years, a little bit of coaching and now... I wasn't planning to be in this role, but here I am, and I'm uh, enjoying it even in those latter years. When was the first time that you were involved? Yeah, my first foray as a chaplain actually was in 1989, Phil, which is maybe a long time before some of your listeners were born. But uh, I moved from Perth, where I was in ministry for eight years in a local church, to teach at a theological college in Sydney. And as part of that, I was invited to be the chaplain to the Parramatta Eels. 
Okay. It was early days of chaplaincy. Were they, let me see. Were the Eels doing any good then? In well, they had done. They had done quite well in the early eighties, but they were tapering off. And yes. It was. It was the last year of some of their staunch uh, heroes: Peter Sterling, yes. Brett Kenny, Peter Wynn. Those sort of guys were sort of coming to the end of their careers, and so you know, Parramatta had tapered off in terms of its success. So it. It. I didn't know. I'd never seen a rugby league game before. I just because of my love for sport. I said, sure. But it was just some cold nights standing on the on the hill at uh, the old Parramatta ground, and then getting used to some of the players. And it was early days of chaplaincy, so um, I'm not sure they knew what to do with a chaplain. So you're apparently out of for a while until you. So you were not only fresh into the role yourself; it was a new role for the club. Well, it had, the club had been in it for one or two years, and someone had left. Right. So they invited me to fill the gap. And, okay. And so it's pretty new, yeah. What were your impressions of rugby league straight away as, you know, someone coming in with no experience? Wow, probably a mixture of how crazy it is to just run at people at that pace. But <laughs> at the same time, there's a fair bit of courage around that. And there was there was skill, there was brawn, there was speed, all of those things. So it was, a, and I've quite enjoyed the, the games ever since and loved those times of the season, which are, you know, the state of origin game. So it's a, it's a good game to watch. Mm. Without naming names or any situations, uh, do you remember were there times where you just felt like, yes, this is now starting to work? Because I can imagine there was a time it took for people to trust you, mm. uh, to get to know you, for you to get to know them. And, and then at some point, something happens and someone comes along and says, hey, Chappie, can I talk to you about X? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you ask because one of the things that made a big difference was one of those senior players who were retiring was in hospital with a knee injury. Right. And I went to visit him and uh, he'd seen me on the hill, not had much to do with me because it's fairly old school. What do you want a chaplain around a sporting club for? So uh, he'd uh, he'd seen he'd seen me and then all of a sudden I'm in his hospital room and, and that changed things because it, it gave you a little bit of credibility that we're, we're here not just for you know, to be pretty on a hill, but to to actually help actually ha- help someone along. So that was a good change. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm sure there's been plenty of opportunities since. And here you are now leading Sports Chaplaincy Australia. So just in a nutshell, what are you trying to do in your role now and what is Sports Chaplaincy Australia's goal? Yeah, we want to see as many chaplains as possible in sporting communities. That could be professional sports like the Eels or the Lions or mm-hmm. any other club around Australia and that professional scene and local community sports. So we want to work alongside the local church and say, can we train a couple of people in your church and then they become part of your missional community and working in the local um, you know, local community in a, in a particularly sporting event. So we'll train and they're there as a presence. You mentioned that before, presence. But also as in terms of incident response, if anything happens in a local club where the chaplain can really be at the forefront of, of mm. care and concern. Yeah, that, that's often the case, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's some tragedy or in a family or otherwise, or even yeah, someone's in hospital because they busted their leg or yeah, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. That's wonderful. You're looking for chaplains at the moment? So we if we that's, are. If that's resonating with someone right now, they go to the website, I presume? Sure, website, uh, sportschaplaincy.com and uh, com, and you can find it there. But we are, at the moment, there's a... There's a um, Demand outstrips supplies. It's fascinating because mm. there's a lot of clubs who would say, if we had someone trained, we would put them in at the moment. We have at the moment just over 500 chaplains around a sports in Australia. Yeah, that's pretty big. And uh, we'd love to, but I think there's something over 70,000 sporting clubs in Australia. <laughs> so we're still got a way to go. Yeah. Got a way to go. Yeah, very yeah, good. So that's good. Well, my guest and co-host today is uh, Tim Hanna. Uh, we could call him doctor, p- uh, pastor, reverend, all, all sorts of things. Just don't call <laughs> just, him late for lunch. No, that's right. 
but you're going to lead us in communion very shortly. So I am. how do we best prepare our hearts toward communion? Look, communion is one of those times where sometimes we rush it to get through, in a, maybe in a service, but we sometimes just need to calm, calm ourselves and pause and take a good breath and say, this is a time where actually I'm at communing. Mm. I'm communing with God and his love, his faith, his forgiveness, his truth. So I'd say that's part of it. Just make sure that we, we, we commune. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thanks, Phil. And it's always good to take communion. It's always good to lead communion. So let's just share that maybe in a time of uh, more rest and uh, breathing out, I guess, to, to prepare ourselves for that. Sometimes I think communion loses its oomph, loses its life. It becomes a ritual we do or a part of a practice or part of a liturgy. But we don't always see it as a path to freedom and release and forgiveness and and uh, the life that God wants us to live. And sometimes we lose that major part we talk about as a time of remembrance. We talk about it as an outward sign of an inward reality. Um, but we often lose the impact of, of confession in in uh, communion. And life is complex. Um, we live our lives out in a very difficult world sometimes and the scriptures talk about confessing our sins or just agreeing with God about ourselves. Um, it says that he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us and give us freedom and, and forgiveness and a lightning when we do that. Um, I was recently on a retreat and even small retreats, large retreats, I, I try to simplify those things to ask the question of how am I feeding my soul? Um, second question, how am I feeding others? But the third question is an, always a, a, a tougher question. How am I feeding my flesh? And that's the, that's the part of me that uh, causes me to need confession. I, I need time to stop. I need time to reflect. I need time to, to say, how am I living my life in such a way that's just falling short in some directions? Maybe not big, maybe big, but maybe just you know you're, uh, you're not living it as, as you should. So big and small. Uh, and that's where Jesus came into play with, Two very simple elements, bread and a cup of wine or juice, whatever you might have in front of you, just reminding us that he died to take the place of the penalty that we would normally suffer just from committing those sins, if you like, committing those things that take us away from God, hence the need to, to confess. So just there, I invite you to take whatever it is you've got before you just to, to take in the bread or the equivalent um, and and then take in the uh, cup of juice or a little sip of whatever you might have there and conscious of the fact that as we confess, as we bring honestly our lives before God, maybe those things where we, we, we don't want to admit to many people, but we'll admit them to God, uh, the feeding of our flesh, ways to keep um, God central in our life and experience the the freedom and the uh, the forgiveness that he brings. So take the bread, take the cup, uh, whatever's in it for you, and and just quiet yourself, and I'll just lead us in a prayer of thanks for all that he does. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that um, we know we live in a complex world, a world that throws lots of things at us, and it's easy to grab hold of some of those things and let them become part of our life in a way that can draw us away or distract us from you or cause us in a direction we don't want to go. And so we come now in this thing called confession, just bringing our life before you, bringing those things before you that need to know the 
wonderful forgiveness, the freeing and the lightning, lightening up of Jesus. So as we take the bread, as we take the cup or the, the juice, we are reminded of him who gave his life for us and we live and breathe because of him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday Morning Together Across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. This time of the morning is normally when I will highlight what is the memory verse of the week in what we call the Treasury Project. Right. So we launch a new one every Sunday, uh, and uh, the one for the last seven days uh, has been Hebrews 4 and verse 12. I wonder if you know what that is off the top of your head. It would have to be something to do with you not know, forget meeting together, is that it? Uh, well, yeah, you're in the same sort of Just ballpark. Before that, but, uh, yeah, that'd be verse 14. I'll, I'll give you the first couple of words here. For the word of God is... Living and active like a two-edged that's sword. That's exactly it. Sword. Yep, penetrating cool. as far as the separation of soul and spirit, yeah. joints and marrow. Uh, well, this week it is in the Psalms. So our verse treasury, treasury Project verse of the week this week, Psalm 55. And verse 22. Right. There's a lot of Psalms, isn't there? There are. And I only know <laughs> verse 51 and 54, but I don't know 52. Uh, okay. What's well, verse 22, actually? <laughs> 22. Or 21. Yeah. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Right. He will never let the righteous fall. Okay. That's, That's a great. wonderful promise to remember, that isn't is it? That's great. Yep. Have there been any verses for you that uh, over the years that you've really stuck in your mind that you've memorized intentionally? Well, I mean, there's lots over the years, but I, in fact, just recently over Christmas time, the holidays with my wife and we're up the Sunshine Coast and just walk on the beach. And I, it's one of those times when you can find yourself lots, you know, crowd, crowding in on your life and you think, oh, gee, what do I do to really re- revisit that great um, closeness with God? And, and I just sense God as I walk on the beach say, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you. Sometimes you think mm. about what do I have to do? What are all the practices and the disciplines I have to do? And we do all those and they're, they're all good um, and important. But just draw near to me, Tim. It was just very clear. Draw near to me and I'll mm. draw near to you. And it's just simple. Yeah. But I said, as I said before, I'm getting more simple as I get older. <laughs> well, simplicity is good because we like to complicate things. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it doesn't work. <laughs> that's so, right. More often than not. Yeah. But, Anyway, so here's a good one to remember. Psalm 55, verse 22. It's our Treasury Project verse of the week. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. I reckon that's a word for somebody this morning. Great verse. He will never let the righteous fall. And if you want to know more about that, you can uh, sign up for weekly reminders, an email or a text to be sent to you. Uh, just go to uh, the Treasury Project uh, page on our website, vision.org.au. Just go there, click read, and then you'll see Memorize Scripture. So that's an easy way to get to it. Sunday Morning Together on Vision Christian Radio. We're about to tell a little bit of uh, a story. Who doesn't like a story? I think we all love a good story. And I know the man across the desk from me has got some very interesting things that have happened across the course of his life, Dr. Tim Hanna. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? You mentioned before that you moved to Australia, so that tells me you were born somewhere else. I was born. I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Ah. Came out with my family as a migrant when I was nine years of age. Right. Moved to Adelaide um, and uh, came out, uh, my family, come from Northern Ireland, you're either Catholic or Protestant, basically. Yes. And, yeah. you know, if you're one, you hate the other, unfortunately. That's what happens. But we were nominally Protestant, but didn't practice anything, but came out to Australia mm. really to help my dad. My dad was a, a bad alcoholic and he, his parents owned quite, you know, pubs and, 
you know, they own a Guinness warehouse. And so he got caught up in all of that. So to get a new freedom, we came to Australia right. to uh, get him away from that. There was a lot of tension in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of it between Protestants and, and Catholics, or a lot of it probably. Yeah. Was that what it was like when you were young, so under nine when you were there? Yeah, uh, it was. My brother, my oldest brother, was a lot older than me, and he was a policeman actually on the border between North and South mm. Ireland, and it was very dangerous. There were snipers, and, and uh, it, was, it was very much that all the way through. Mm. Yeah. What else do you remember from your childhood? Oh, I remember going holidays each year, probably when I was two or three. That's probably my earliest memories of anything. We were at the beach in the north of Northern Ireland, um, and uh, that's most of what I, much most of what I bl- uh, remember. When I was later in school, in eight and eight years, eight and nine, I played a lot of soccer. Um, quite enjoyed school at primary school, mm-hmm. but uh, that's about it. Not great memories other than that. Mm. So you arrive in Australia, yep. nine years of age. Yep. When you walked off the plane, presumably, I'm guessing you didn't come out on a boat. Um, no, we came out. We came on a boat. You came on a boat. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's a long time ago, Phil. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to be polite here. <laughs> no, 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 forget it. <laughs> so you step off the boat. Yep. Four months, four weeks on a boat. What do you remember? We stepped into outer uh, in South Australia, uh, outer harbour. What time of the year was this? It was February the twenty eighth. Oh, it was hot. Nineteen sixty two. Right. And uh, we we moved off. In fact, fascinating. My my first night in Australia. My eldest brother, who was my second eldest brother, I should say, who was a real um, bodgy in those days, was the name a bodgy. A bodgy. It was like a, a you know an Elvis sort of person. Right. Okay. And he took me the first night in Australia to see the movie Blue Hawaii. Huh. First visit. But I remember it's hot. Uh, we we lived in a tin shed in Elder Park in Adelaide, wow. which was set up for migrants yes. before you got a house. So we were there for a week, and then we settled in Elizabeth. In South Australia, in the Australia, north of Adelaide, which is a migrant town, but really <coughs> set up for migrants yeah. from the UK and, and and Europe. Yeah, did things pan out well? Uh, things panned out well for a while. Uh, when I say that, when my dad was doing well for three years, and his dad died, and he went back to help. In fact, my mum and I went with him. I was the youngest of five, and we went with him to help settle up um, my grandfather's stuff. But he got caught back into um, the alcoholism, alcoholism again. And yeah. when we came back to Australia, uh, I was 12 and he died when, I, when he was 52. I was 12. So mm. he got really caught back up in that in cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. Um, so my mum was a single mum. I was the only, my brothers and sisters were all married, just mum and I uh, at home for about eight years before I got married. Right. So you were the youngest. I was the youngest of five. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so where did. Christianity fit in the picture here. You mentioned you were nominal Protestants. Yep. Um, what did the daily life look like for you? Was there church involvement or no church involvement at all? I think when I was a kid in in Ireland, my mum and dad sent me to Sunday school for a while. They didn't come, but they just sent me on a Sunday morning. But it didn't last very long. And coming out to Australia, I got caught up in sports. Sport was God mm. for me. Um, so I grew up in Elizabeth, played a lot of sport. Elizabeth High School, went to university, met my wife at university. So uh, we got married young. I was 20. She was 18. I've said to my kids, don't even think about it. So (laughs) we were married. um, We were married uh, young. Neither of us were Christian. Um, But then two years later, I mean, it was probably 18 months after that. My wife said to me, there's got to be something more to life than this. She was searching. 
Yeah. She'd come from a broken home and yeah. she was searching. And when you say there's something must be something more to life than this and you realize you were the this. So it was a bit it was a bit hard to take, you know. So so uh, yeah. you know we There's gotta be more to life than you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I she started searching in, yeah. in various places, some um, different churches, some Eastern mysticisms, all those sort of areas, and settled and started going to a few churches. And, and then a girl came to her work. She was uh, worked at Australian Legal Aid, and she was a librarian there. And a girl came to her work who just started sharing her Christian faith with my wife. Mm. And she came home one Monday after work and said at lunchtime, she said uh, to the girl, yeah, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And she gave her life to Jesus that Monday lunch, came home and told me at night. And I remember saying to her, because in Ireland you have a God consciousness because you're either you know, nominally Catholic or Protestant. I remember saying to her straight away, oh, that's great. Now we're both Christians. Huh. And the minute I said it, I knew I wasn't. Yes. So that Saturday night at this girl's church, having a youth rally in the middle of Adelaide, and I went along to that, not planning to go in, actually just taking my wife. I was studying for exams and eventually went in, and that was the night I gave my life to Jesus. So we became Christians in the same week, but five days apart. That is just wonderful. Yeah. So let's let's go there. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Sure. What was your journey? How did you move from that place of, I'm a Christian, because you were nominally Protestant, yeah. but you said as soon as you said that, you realized you were wrong. What, what, was that, what was that like? What actually happened? Yeah, look, I mean, yeah. If we can only put that down to the work of God because I, I just knew that wasn't that wasn't me. She was taking this new course. I knew how serious she was about it. I knew it meant everything to her. She started to read her Bible, even those first few days, and I'm thinking, that's not the way I that's <laughs> not the way I've ever expressed what I might have thought was Christianity. So um in that end of that week was just a supernatural I didn't know what was happening in the church service. It was new to me. I'd not been to church for a long, long time. And uh but something in there, just a guy gave an invitation to give your life to Jesus, and I found myself just in tears at the front of a church mm. doing the very thing. Now, that, that was in Adelaide. We was about 25 k's north, so we started to look for a church close to where we lived. Yeah. We lived in a council flat in, in Elizabeth, um, $14.25 a week it cost, <laughs> cost me. Was your old man a dustman? <laughs> no, he wasn't. He lived, he lived in a council <laughs> flat. And... Uh, um, and then we, with the little church across the road, not far from where we were, uh, Elizabeth Church of Christ in South Australia. It was a right. church of mainly people much older than us. So we started to go there. We went there. I remember the first morning I ever went to church. My wife had been before me. Um, and then I went one morning and I, I rolled up in a pair of stubbies and a bricky singlet and a pair of thongs. <laughs> I and bet I'm, you didn't blend in at and all. I, said, I didn't. And I said to my <laughs> wife, this is it. And if I go and, and I and I, if anyone says anything about the way I'm dressed, I'll never go back. And they just loved us and cared for us and That's nurtured us in that place. It was just mag magnificent. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, how did that change your outlook or or your approach to what you were doing? You're still at uni at this point. Or? I was. Yeah, part time. I was part time uni and finishing off an economics degree. And uh, and then look, we started. It was. God had, had a lot to do with it because we just couldn't get enough. We didn't have any kids at that stage, so mm. we were going to five Bible studies a week. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant. We were learning, growing in that church, different places, different Bible studies. I think we locked into just about everyone there was. We learnt, we grew. And so probably that first two years, we grew more in those two years than maybe 
maybe it's wise to grow, but anyway, that was that was us. Mm. And then uh, I went to theological college. We had a guy come and speak at our, who was the principal of the Church of Christ College, and said, "You ought to think about training for ministry," which was the last thing in my mind. Um, but however, I went to Bible College in uh, Melbourne, uh, Church of Christ College in Melbourne. After two years as a Christian, um, so I was a less, still a learning curve. Mm. No, that's a big change in itself, yes, moving it from Adelaide huge, to Melbourne. I was only going to go for a year and come back and be a more effective youth leader right. in that church. But I didn't go back and did four years and finished local finished my studies and in, in ministry and then uh, went to Perth for the first... Um, by that stage, we had when I finished um, my studies, oh, we had th- two kids. The th- no, the third was in the last year, so we right. went from zero. We went to college with one child, came out with four, three. Yeah. And I've, lost, I've lost track. Wow. Well, you certainly bounced around a bit as well. I mean, yeah. born in Ireland, yep. uh, went to Adelaide, yep. went to Melbourne, went to Perth. Perth, yeah, for eight years in a church there yeah, as a local church, which was great. Loved it there. That was a, a real formative time for us as a family because we were in a church where a lot of the families were the same age as we were. Kids grew up together, still know each other, really good friends with people in that church there. Um, and then after eight years there, was invited to teach at the Church of Christ College in Sydney. In Sydney, so yeah. yeah. So I've been around. The bouncing around continues. Yeah. So how long were you pastoring in Perth? Eight years. For eight years. At that church. Okay. Calamunda Church of Christ. All right. Mm. Um, there's a big change between past, uh, difference between pastoring a church yep. and then teaching in the theological yeah. college. Yeah. What did you learn in that process? Yeah, I was teaching mainly in the practical church areas, such as you know church leadership. Um, I was pre- teaching in, in preaching and and uh, administration. So, but I loved the people I was teaching with. I learned a lot from them. So they were more longer-term Christians than I was. Um, so I learned a lot from those who were teaching in the theological side and the systematic theology side and the you know, biblical studies side. But I really enjoyed being involved with students and having some sort of form of opportunity to form students in their pastoral ministry. I learned that there were some great people with great opportunities. I did learn that there were some people who came to Bible college who probably shouldn't have come to Bible college. So you learn the, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So after theological college comes compassion. No, at another church. Another before. church. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, right. I was invited to. I was a two years at church and at that theological college, and it was that there's something about the call of the wild of getting out there in local church ministry. So I was invited to to pastor a church in Melbourne, mm-hmm. a place called Berwick, Berwick Church of Christ. So I did that for five years, and then I was invited back to teach again at the same college for another two years, uh, or almost two years. And um, so invited back into that same space. But then the college moved from becoming a res- from being a residential college to becoming a modular college. Right. Became became ACOM, Australian College of Ministries. And so I could work out in the uh, um, local church, you know, mm, in the local church anyway. and, and lecture when I, when I was called upon. So that's what I did. So and then, and then, uh, out of the blue came the invitation to pastor here in Brisbane in a, a sort of uh, Gateway Baptist Church. I wasn't expecting that. It was a new state, never been here before. It was a new denomination, moving from churches across to Baptist. So I pastored the church here at Gateway Baptist Church for almost on oh, no, ten and a half years. Mm. Yeah. So that's a whole all around Australia. Yeah, so you, know, you you've dragging my family with me. That's exactly right. I mean, the only only uh, city you haven't uh, lived in, perhaps, is Darwin or Canberra. Yeah, Darwin, Canberra, and Hobart. And Hobart. Yeah. There we go. 
So pastoring a church again, yes. but then comes compassion. That, yeah. that is a bit of a gear change. So uh, for those who don't know, compassion work all around the world yes. in, uh, in some pretty needy places yeah. in partnership with the local church, yep. uh, probably best known for child sponsorship. Yep. So those first few days when you were there, or in fact probably even the first few years when you were mm. there, how did you feel? Did you feel a bit out of your depth? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I left Gateway not because I, for any other reason. I, we just felt a little restless. We felt God was about to change something in our lives. And so we said to the church, look, we will we will move on at the end of the term. It was the end of a second five-year term. So we, we moved on. It was the first time ever I've, I've left anywhere without knowing where I was going. Mm. And it was both scary and exciting at the same time. And in that space of time between when I told the church and when I actually left was six months and that's when Compassion came along and said, would you do another a role within Compassion? It wasn't the CEO role. It was a uh, national church director. I was living in Brisbane, head, headquarters were in Newcastle. I'd go down there once a month and on the leadership team, but that became difficult. So I did that for a year and a half, Phil, and, uh, uh, and then it just became difficult. I was on the leadership team, but in and out. And, and so I left for a, for a year, and then in that year the CEO resigned uh, and uh, – People I knew there, the executive team said, "Would you th- have you thought of maybe applying for this role?" And I thought, "No, I hadn't," um, but I did, and uh, you know, became the CEO. I think the thing I love about Compassion was the, the you know, the com- combination of the, the gospel, the church, and the poor, mm. all in one role, and mm. to see that lived out around the world. Uh, those were. 10 fantastic years of my life. We loved them. We, my wife and I moved to Newcastle, so our kids didn't leave home. We left home. They were all basically out of home by then. Mm. Um, and uh, we moved to Newcastle for 10 years and uh, loved the work there. But it was like moving into that role, for, as, you, as you asked the question, for the first time, what do you do? How does this work? I've had local church ministries for umpteen years, and now I'm in this you know, not-for-profit space with heaps of staff and you know, lots of responsibility, and and uh, but it was great, mm. really good. What do you remember most about uh, some of the places you no doubt would have visited yeah. the Compassion Projects? Which one comes to mind, and why? Oh, gee, there's so many, so many. The thing I loved about it was visiting the field and and visiting the countries we worked in. Twenty five countries at that stage we worked in. I think, um, and and when I people have asked me what's your favourite country, it's hard to say that. It's like what's your favourite child, but. Seeing some of the things that happened in places like Rwanda, where who were recovering after the genocide of uh, you know '94, and mm. um, places like Indonesia, where they're just making a great headway in a difficult, difficult uh, setting. So um, lots of different countries, but just people. The great joy of seeing local leaders in churches around the world who you'll never hear of, um, whose you know names and you know you wouldn't know, just faithful. Godly, uh, committed servants of Jesus doing their work. That's that's the joy of it all. Mm. Along came retirement, apparently. Yes, apparently. So you got to your 10-year your mark and yes. you're thinking, I'm going to retire. Yep. What did that look like in your mind and how did it play out? Well, I, I wasn't quite sure what it would look like. I knew it was time. It was just, again, God made that clear it was time. I was 67 and I'd like to do something. I, was, you know, I felt fine and... Wasn't sure what that would look like, but then uh, an organisation called Partners in Ministry came along and mm-hmm. said, "Would you be open to to be involved in coaching and mentoring uh, pastors, young leaders, um, leaders of not for profits, etc.? Would you be able to do that?" And I said, "Well, 
yeah, I'm sort of semi planning to semi-retire, but I'll do that three days a week. So for the last, uh, you know, from the beginning of 2020 through to second half of 23, I was doing that um, all over the place, primarily in Queensland because I headed up the Queensland arm of that. And, and uh, yeah, I was just doing that and enjoying that and enjoying having an impact and, and input into people's lives and hopefully encouraging them. Mm. So I, I did that for three and a bit years. Mm. And about six months ago, yep. you became into your current role yeah. in retirement, I might add, yeah. <laughs> of the CEO of uh, Sports Chaplaincy Australia. Yes, I did. So, so what is this retirement of which you speak? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a strange thing because, I, as I said, I've not, I've not thought I would be in this role. I, I saw it advertised when I was trying to help a church find a pastor and making sure their ad got in – and I just in the Christian jobs, and I I saw it, and it wouldn't leave me. I just uh, it just sat with me, and I said to my wife, "This is weird. This is just sitting there, and it's niggling and gnawing away at me." So I wrote to the email address that was there with a short paragraph, said, "Look, um, I've read your advert, and I, I knew the people who were in the job before, and we had a bit to do with them when I was at Compassion with Sports Chaplaincy." I said, "I'm just exploring. This is not an application. I'm just exploring." I said. The upside is I love Jesus, I love the church, and I love sport. The downside is I'm 70 years of age at that stage, and and uh, um, please don't be. I won't be offended if you think that's a game changer. It's too old. Just tell me, and I'll. And, but it's just sitting with me. Mm. And they got back to me quickly and said, "Look, uh, it's not a game changer. Just keep thinking. If it if it sits with you for another few days, put in an application." And it, again, it just sat there. I put in an application, so. They employed me. Mm. So the CEO of Sports Chaplaincy Australia wasn't planning it. Yeah. So six months down the track. Yep. Uh, you got your teeth right into it by now, I would imagine. Pretty well. How long are you going to be there? Well, I've committed to three years to kind of, okay. you know, give some clarity and shape and direction yeah. to the ministry and uh, hopefully find a good replacement for me. That's the idea yeah. over three years. Take it to a, another place and, that's and right. hand that's, it on. That's the plan. Yeah. Yep. Where do you get your energy from, Tim? Over over seventy, some yeah. people might say, you know, you've you've done well. It's time to put your feet up. Yeah, look, uh, that's a good, I mean, good question. I, I still I love life. Uh, I'm basically a fairly positive person. I love life. I love my faith. I love fleshing that out. Um, my kids, I've, we've got nine children, my wife and I. So that has uh, kept me. So where do you get your energy <laughs> from, fairly, Tim? <laughs> fairly, fairly young over the years, and. Uh, um, so oh, that's been a, a great time. So it's it's mixing with my kids, my grandkids, yeah. thinking how they asking them questions. I'm pretty curious. I like to ask questions of people. Yeah, uh, curiosity and and just line of finding interest in people. Yeah. yeah. How many grandkids? Twenty five. Wow. I know. You remember you remember all their names I and do. birthdays? I, oh no, I remember names. <laughs> I remember all my kids' birthdays, but I don't remember my grandkids' birthdays. That must be a pretty big Christmas get together, right? It's a I big Christmas it is a big Christmas get together. If we're all together there's over forty. So now I've got a granddaughter who's married, so yep. that's a new a new so space. No, no great grandies on, yet. on no, the radio yet. No, not yet. Okay. I keep selling my wife. We're too young to be great grandchildren. <laughs> I don't think we are, but anyway, that's good. So if you, as you look back over all of your experiences, mm. has there been a theme that's run through that, something where you can see the hand of God has been on you, preparing you in this way or that way? Yeah, I think it's funny. You know, I, I we talk about the call of God on our life, and you could look back and say, you know, you've had seven or eight calls to different ministries. Mm. I look back at it now and say I've got one call and a number of assignments. Yeah. And I, I, I put it together and I see the, the thing God has called me do, to do is help people flourish. 
and that's the one banner, if you like, yep. the one umbrella over my life. And all the things I've done have been assignments within that banner. Yeah. And so this is no different. If I can help people flourish and help people train and grow in, in getting involved in local sporting communities and representing Jesus in those communities, being a presence for him there, that's the same thing as it was pastoring a church back in Western Australia teaching in theological college it was all under that banner of helping people flourish such a good way to look at it because we can tend to confuse vocation with calling absolutely uh, and they can be two very very different things absolutely. as you've just demonstrated yeah so thanks for sharing your story my pleasure still going uh, you get to share a little bit more in just a moment uh, very soon the best five minute sermon we'll hear today so <laughs> no pressure it's coming from you it's got to be five minutes it's got to be good so I, uh, I, I heard the, st- the trying to get someone to speak in five minutes is a tough key but we'll do our best <laughs> we've got a trap door you know if you go sure, over time yeah. okay what are you talking about I'm talking about uh, prayer actually okay um you, you learn a lot about someone by the, by the prayers they pray and I want to look at one particular prayer today that Paul prays and and it's it's, it's prayer's always a learning game I don't think you ever you ever become an expert. So Mm. it's just one thing I'm fascinated by. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thanks, Phil. Look, it's good to uh, be able to share with folk. Um, You can tell a lot by people's prayers, and I think um, that's why I pay attention to them, the prayers Jesus prayed, the prayers Paul prayed, the prayers in the Old Testament, which is why the the Psalms are so important. Um, Because you don't always know how to pray. Somebody asks you to pray for something. How do I pray about that? And somebody, I think quite cynically, once said that prayer is worry in the general direction of God. And that's uh, maybe a cynical look at prayer. But I want us to look at a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. Just very quickly this morning, it comes from Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. And Paul's already prayed, already said in that letter, all the things that people have already received as followers of Jesus. They've been chosen for the creation of the world, etc. They've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. They've been redeemed. Then he comes to this, verse 15 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Just four beautiful aspects of that prayer that I think are important and can be a good framework for prayer when you're not sure how to pray. The first one is he he prays for a growing closeness to Jesus. He prays at people in Ephesus, and therefore you and I would have a growing closeness to Jesus. Um, he says, I keep asking that you will know God will give you the spirit of wisdom so that you may know him better. It's not knowing about him but it's knowing him better through wisdom and revelation, the revelation of what God says in his word, the revelation of how he speaks to us, a revelation of other people, but also um, from wisdom, those things that we know ourselves because God has given us his, his spirit to dwell within us. So he prays for a growing closeness um, to Jesus. He prays, secondly, that people would live with an unshakable hope. Um, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And 
Hope today is in a short supply. It's 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 missing a lot in our society. It's not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. They're all good things supposedly, but it's it's a certainty. It's because of the certainty of the future. How does that play out in my here and now? That's the hope that you have. And Paul reminds we've got two sets of eyes. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open to see the hope because the eyes of your head don't always see it. You read newspapers, you watch news and you see visions of conflict and war and crime and um, you know danger. Uh, the eyes of your head don't always see hope. They see disappointment. They see despair. That's why he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will see the hope. And he prays that they will We'll get it, and and you know Paul says in another place he says you know the reason we face tribulation is so that we'll build tribulation builds a, a perseverance which builds character which builds hope. And then he says and hope will not disappoint you, and the opposite of hope is not just always despair; it could be disappointment. So he says make sure we we don't just look at the world through the eyes of our head, but we look at the eyes of our heart. What God is doing within us. Just certainly that you thirdly that you will know the riches of belonging. I pray the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Um so um there's a there's a richness in belonging to God's community, there's a richness in belonging to God's church. There's a richness about that. Um it's the churches and God's people are not perfect. They're not ideal in all ways, um, so it's easy to judge, but there's a richness in being part of that. And sometimes we, we lose that richness because we have ideals of what that should be like. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be honest, earnest, and sacrificial. So, it's when we have an ideal of what church should be or what life together should be and we love that love that ideal more than actual the people who are in our sphere, in our realm, that can be destructive when, it, when it's uh, falling in love for the ideal more than the people who are part of that. So there's a richness in belonging to people. That does mean people who maybe naturally get on, on your nerves. It does mean people who don't, um, you know, spot every, um, dot every, theological eye and theological T the same as you do it does mean that there's a richness in that and finally he says in a prayer trust in the power of God in your life you have living within you the same power that road that took Jesus from the grave to heaven um, you have the same um, power in you by God's spirit so what a great prayer if I could simply put that um he prays that, they, that their lives would be nearing to Jesus, would be hoping in Jesus, would be belonging to Jesus and his, and his people and trusting in the power of God in, in his life. And I, I trust that that's a, a helpful encouragement to you. Can we just uh, pray together? Father, we thank you so much that we can look at the prayers of biblical writers and then come to you in prayer ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we will take for ourselves that really important um, aspect of knowing Jesus better, not just knowing about him, but knowing him, to live uh, with an unshakable hope, to look with the eyes of our heart that we will really be part of God's people and recognize the richness in that and that we will live trusting in the power of God in our lives day by day. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday Morning Together 
on Vision Christian Radio. Phil is my name, and the other voice you can hear here is Dr. Tim Hanna, my guest and co-host today. Thanks so much for sharing that uh, wonderful message. It's a joy. About good. prayer this morning. Yeah, good. Prayer is an interesting thing. It, yeah. it can be as simple as, and I think most of us intuitively know how to pray when we're in trouble. Like, God, yeah. I need help, yeah. you know. And sometimes we pray some rash things of, you know, God, if you get me out of this, I will fill in the blank. But how do we build a lifestyle of prayer, Tim? Because the the scriptures tell us that we should pray with all kinds of prayer at all times. Without ceasing. Yeah. (laughs) Look, I think it's a, it's a commun, it's a communication thing. It's, it's trusting. It's not all just us talking. It's listening as well. Um, uh, Eugene Peterson said that prayer is simple. There are two, two main prayers. Very simple. Help and thanks. He said they're the they're the <laughs> yeah. uh, they're the two main aspects of prayer. Yeah, and I think it's it's just doing it. It's just speaking like you would speak to somebody who is really close by. Mm. The circumstances you're going, or if you're not sure how to pray, just say that. I think it's sometimes we get caught up in the just lane. be honest. Say, yeah, God, I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I think it's a please simple, help me. That's as simple as anything. We get caught up in the language. We feel we've got to pray a certain way or with certain language, but you don't. You just to be honest with God, talk. Converse mm. and listen. What's something that's been most helpful for you over the years to to build the discipline of prayer? Yeah, look again. You're learning all the time. I mean, I'm learning all the time. And again, looking at some of the prayers of scripture has been helpful. For example, one of the things that's been really helpful to me is looking at the prayer of Jesus when in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and it's helped me frame prayers simply. Mm. Like, what is his? Um, so he starts off by you know. Um, this I'm, I'm overwhelmed to death. So I would say start with where you're at. Mm. Start with the emotions. Be really honest. Isn't start it? with the emotions you have, and then he, he goes with his desires. He gives his desires. God, it would be my desire that this cup would pass me by. And then thirdly, says it's 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 yielding. It's just surrender. But your will. Mm. And I think for me that's been really helpful. So it's not wrong to tell God exactly how you feel. Read the Psalms. Mm. It's not wrong to tell him what your dreams and desires are. I'd love this to happen. God, you know that. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. We you see know, that same pattern in the Psalms. A lot of lot of David's prayers there. Absolutely. He's, <laughs> he's saying some pretty out there things to God oh, about yeah. where he's at. Absolutely. He says some things to God we'd feel bad yeah. talking to God that way about. That's really helpful, Tim. Thank sure. you so much. No. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. My guest and co-host, Dr. Tim Hanna, who is the CEO of Sports Chaplaincy Australia these days. Uh, I wonder if you might be able to lead us in a prayer for our, our nation today. It's what mm. I will normally ask my guest to do at this time. And I'm, I'm always curious to know what the answer to this question is. How should we be praying for our nation? Because there's lots of ways that we can approach that. Look, it's a great question. We should be praying for our country individually and in churches Probably more than we do, to be very honest, because there's lots of people make decisions mm. on our behalf. There's mm. people who who are deciding things and you know making choices that impact impact the whole of the nation or parts of the nation. So we should be more, I think, discerning, more um, intentional, on praying for those people who make those decisions, praying for ourselves and how we live out our faith in our nation. So it's uh, it's being intentional. What do we do with maybe some of the prejudices that we have towards some of those people? So we might, let's say, someone in political power. Mm. We might not like them. Mm. We might disagree with them. Uh, they might be taking stances that are completely the opposite of what, what we want to see happen. What do we do with that? 
Look, I think you, we, we are drawn back to prayer for those people because you're right that people make some decisions that we think are, are not healthy, maybe not godly, mm. uh, maybe not good for the nation, um, maybe self-serving. So how, how do we make those changes? Well, I think we have to be prepared to stand up in the areas of justice, but we need to pray for those people mm. and trust that somehow uh, they will be open to the, you know, the supernatural breakthrough of God. Mm. And with everyone that we pray for, every situation, remember every single person is a made in the image of God. Absolutely. We just not all necessarily have that awareness yet. <laughs> not so yet. So there's a good thing Keep to pray praying. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you lead us in a prayer? Love to. Thanks. Our God, we thank you so much that you are a sovereign God. You love people and you love our nation of Australia. We thank you for it. We we pray for those, Lord God, in leadership in our in our nation. Lord, sometimes decisions get made that um, we love. Sometimes decisions get made that we don't love and we think you mightn't love either. But we thank you that we can pray. And Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray for surprising breakthroughs that only you can do in those leading a nation and making decisions. Father, we pray for um, a commitment of ourselves to, to support and to pray for those in leadership, for those around about us, those that we mightn't like even. We pray that we will be faithful to you in our uh, prayers for them. So, Lord, we thank you for this nation. We pray that we will see more and more people turn to Jesus and, and show their love and their grace for him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, it's been wonderful to spend time with you today, Tim. It's been a joyful. Thank you for the opportunity, you, and to be here co-hosting with you and with your listeners. I just really enjoyed it. Well, it's been fantastic. And I uh, just pray that many opportunities will open up, not only for you, but everyone involved in sports chaplaincy. Absolutely. And you are looking for more chaplains at the moment. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, if there's people here thinking sport and ministry together, is that possible? Well, here's your opportunity. And isn't it? Looking for churches and chaplains and churches to get on board and see it as part of their uh, community outreach. Mm. So just search for Sports Chaplaincy Australia. You'll yep, find the website find easy enough. Absolutely. And make contact with uh, with Tim and the team. And uh, if you had had the choice that you could play any sport for, I don't know, the rest of your life, Tim, only one, what would it be? Look, I would like to win Wimbledon. Well, right. <laughs> okay. I, we think I'm all, I think I'm a little old, but I, I, you know, who knows? Every now and again, you have this dream. I'll be standing at Court Wimbledon. <laughs> well, you never know. No, you never. Well, I do know, but I, I, you never know. You're right. Double with doubles. <laughs> Good on you, Tim. Thanks no so much. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.